Hey everybody, Jonathan here from Jake and Jonathan. Just giving you a little pre-announcement to tell you that our podcast merch is now available before Christmas so that it arrives on time for Christmas. This year's limited edition one print merch is a very beautiful t-shirt with Gandalf on the front saying 1000 sticks. This is the 1000 sticks merch. It's the official t-shirt of the Jake and Jonathan podcast. Now, how do you find it? You just go to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash Jake Jonathan, or you can find that link in the show notes uh, somewhere. Um, This is limited edition, meaning we will never print it again, just like last year's t-shirts. There's just one print run. We do it for a few weeks um, just before Christmas and then that's the end of it and then there'll never be an option to buy it again. This year um, I think it's a pretty cute funny t-shirt. It's the little Gandalf that you can see hiding in the background of the podcast art and that's all it is. Very minimal. Very very minimal. So if you buy this t-shirt do send us a picture of yourself wearing it either on Twitter or on Instagram or to pbc at ajsmart.com. Definitely check it out. And also notice that the dark t-shirt is more expensive than the light t-shirt. And that is because it is Gandalf the space gray version of it. It's not just a black t-shirt. This t-shirt is space gray. So we had to make it more expensive for no reason. Also, you notice the t-shirts are kind of expensive. This has nothing to do with us. We're basically making no money from these things. It's just these t-shirt printing websites are super expensive. So we're probably getting about $1 or $2 for every t-shirt you buy. Um, yeah, that's that's not the point of this. It's just so that we get to, um, you know, get, get a few people wearing these t-shirts and supporting the podcast. So enjoy the rest of the podcast. That's teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash jake jonathan um, have a great day bye bye jake jonathan I had quite a lot of time to realize that it wasn't Product Breakfast Club because we were setting up and I still said it. <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Jake and Jonathan show. No, it's just Jake and Jonathan. God, this is hard. It doesn't matter. It's hard. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes I listen back to this podcast, yeah. Jake. First of all, when I'm listening back to it, I'm like, wow, it's, it is listenable. But whenever we're doing it, I'm like, oh, this is so bad. You know what I mean? What, what happens between the moment when it's being recorded in the moment when it's being listened to. It's like Schrodinger's cat. It could be dead or alive at the same time, but then when you observe it, speaking of which, I'm reading... You can't just leave it. (laughs) You can't just leave that crap metaphor. (laughs) Speaking of which, next thing that I want to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) Well... Uh, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Or welcome to the podcast. I'm sure if our listeners are familiar with Schrodinger's cat. Is that how you say it? Because it's probably yeah. a German word, Schrodinger. Schrodinger's Katze. <laughs> Schrodinger's Katze, Alter. <laughs> we should say, like, thanks to everyone who bought the t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Actually, speaking of which, over one week ago today, eight days ago, we recorded our last episode and because it's Tuesday right now in our time, and it was Monday in our time. This morning, I just got a notification that my t-shirt oh. shipped. If Yay. you order one, it might take a while before they ship. Yeah, I'll stop selling them probably in the first week of December. This podcast will come out on the 5th of November. You still have three weeks to buy the t-shirt. Do you think more people bought the white one or more people bought the more expensive black one? I think the more expensive black one. Yeah. yeah. Space Gray. A lot more people bought the black one. (laughs) Gandalf the Space Gray. Well, you know, I always worry with a white shirt that I'm going to get a stain on it. Bolognese. What? It's always Bolognese. Oh, oh, oh. Bolognese. Bolognese. Uh, Bolognese. Bolognese sounds like it's like mayonnaise made out of balls. (laughs) (laughs) Bolognese. Best name for the episode. Yeah, Jake, how you doing, man? Oh, yeah. How's life? I'm good. I'm good, but I'm groggy this morning. And the primary reason why I'm groggy is I got really into this book. You recommended a different book by the author. 
and I went down the rabbit hole of Kindle samples, and I ended up reading a different yeah. book. So the book I'm reading is Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. And I assume you pronounce his name Crouch. He never stands. He's sort of an American, so that's how I would say it. This book, Dark Matter, wow, man, it is it's it's fun. fun, but it's okay. We could go back in time to when we were in Portland together. We went to Powell's Books, Ooh. biggest books back in time. And we're standing there, <laughs> backwards talking, whatever that sounds like. <laughs> and when we were like talking about different books, we might recommend to each other because we both. We're going to choose a book. And one of the books you were on the almost recommended to me, which meant I would have to read it, was yeah. Recursion by Blake Crouch. Yeah. And you said His it's new good. Book. And you said, but you said, I can't remember what you said about Dark Matter, but I think you said, you know, he wrote Dark Matter or something. He wrote Dark Matter. I mean, a Recursion is it takes the Dark Matter sort of concept and mind bending stuff to another level. So dark matter is a good starting point actually. Wow. So it's more mind bending than dark matter because dark matter yeah, is really mind bending. I remember the thing that you said about dark matter that stuck in my mind is it's really dark. And you're like, I'm not just saying that as like a joke. Like it's actually it's very dark. And boy is it dark. It really is. It starts off and you think, oh, this is a fun intriguing concept i wonder where he'll go with this it's like a thriller yeah i guess i don't want to do a spoiler i think it's a good book people if you listen to this you're thinking about reading dark matter you have to be okay with some violence some pretty horrible things happening horrible 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 things happen it's a such a fast read it's interesting ideas fun it is horrible and i'm in this i don't remember being like horrified by it but I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. He's kind of, he's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> this might be a spoiler. I'm surprised. The thing that stretches the believability, I'm all in in this book, the whole premise, and it yeah. goes back to Schrodinger's cat, is like parallel universes, and it actually has the best Schrodinger's cat reference is just built into the heart of the book, which I love because I find Schrodinger's cat hilarious. But the thing about it that's, the main character who seems really like relatable, you sympathize with him. He's been sort of stolen out of his world, away from his wife and child, and he's trying to get back from like an alternate version of himself. But is how quickly like other versions of himself will be like killers, including the part I'm like 75% of the way through. Yeah. And there's like the other versions of himself that only just split off, like a few hours before and they're just like ready to kill each and other they just they're like immediately full mass murderers <laughs> yeah and i'm like well i don't know about that part well i think the thing is that they've already got a lot more context than the ones that would have taken a longer time to become killers because they're all becoming super paranoid as well right they're all yeah and they've been through i guess they've been through other parallel worlds they've been through other versions of themselves trying to kill them so yeah right the book, okay, everything else aside, and it's like a really, there's a lot of interesting things about the book. One of them is just how fast-paced it is. I love reading it. Yeah. And th- it's like a movie script. It is like a movie script. And it just introduces one idea, and then it just changes what's going on so fast. You're yeah. just wrapping your head around the character being in one setting, and then he has some kind of cataclysmic event force the character out of that setting into another situation. And yeah. the character's like constantly on the run, and there's just like no rest. And as a reader, I'm just like... I have to read this as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a page turner. I love books like that. Like, And I would say there are moments of cheesy writing and kind of flat characters, not flat characters as in the design trend, but like characters that don't actually have any personality, but just need to be in a scene to make something happen. And there's also occasionally exposition dumps where someone's like, well, here's how all <laughs> yeah. of this works immediately. And I know you already are experienced this, but the person reading might not know it. So let me talk about right. it for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't need to be in this era of Kindle samples. It's fine. Yeah, it does have all those things. It is also really well written. Like in the way that it's yeah, written, it, it's yeah, really well with done. That stuff. Yeah, it's really well done. But it's not like the road. No, and it's not the road. It's the character it's building is literature. not as amazing. And yeah, it's true. Some of the characters are like really, except for the main character, everyone is just like flat. Yeah. But the main character, there's like different versions of him and stuff. It's yeah. pretty fun. And it's also kind of like cool how much happens in a short period of time. It can't be that long of a book. I don't know. I don't. It's an entertaining sense. book. That's the thing. Everybody read it. The thing it makes me think about is it does this nice job of evoking like the fragility of 
the life that you have. And like, if things are going pretty okay in your life, and maybe not like everything's perfect, but like how actually fragile it is and all of the things that have to happen then line up for your life to be sort of okay. And that's actually like, it's kind of cool. Like as much as like a lot of my feeling in reading has been like, oh God, oh geez, oh God, like why? Oh. But a lot of the things are really the overall feeling. I step away from reading the book and I'm like so grateful to be back in my world that, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> that cool. it's kind of cool. Anyway, I'm so far with 75% into Dark Matter, I would say 10 sticks on that one. Cool. Yeah, I would also have given a 10 sticks. Recursion also gets 10 sticks. Everything gets 10 sticks. Everything. Okay, I'm going to probably read Recursion after because I downloaded the sample and I didn't get super into the sample. And then everywhere it was oh. like, oh, Blake Crouch, author of Dark Matter. Oh, Blake Crouch, author of Dark Matter. So I was like, well, I should just go straight to Dark Matter. Yeah. But I'll come back to exactly. Recursion for sure, especially after seeing how he handled it. Jake, I wanted to talk about... So first of all, remember last week, so in the last episode of this podcast, I was complaining a lot. I was like, oh, I'm in a bad mood. Everything sucks. It's all fine. Though. That was the last episode or the last 102 yeah. episodes? Because I'm not clear. <laughs> hey! <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of which, we should read some reviews. There's some nice new reviews came in. Oh, okay. Yeah. First of all, before people click off because they don't want to hear us doing reviews, write a review. We're supposed to advertise at the beginning and we should at least ask yeah. people to write reviews. Please write a review. Please write a review. Five stars. Actually, don't even write anything. Just five stars. Just like buy the masterclass. Yeah, buy the masterclass. It'll be good. Yeah, okay. Buy stuff. Okay, so buy the t-shirt. Oh, the t-shirt. The t-shirt. Uh, link is buy in the, the show notes. Buy the t-shirt. Take a picture. Right? Yeah. Link is in the show notes. And if you don't find it in the show notes because the show notes on Spotify are kind of crappy, then what you can do is check out our Instagram channels or my Instagram channel. I've been posting it there and people have been swiping up. All right, here we go. <laughs> Absolutely funny and entertaining podcast. This is by Matt D 57 Five stars. I've started listening three months ago and I already listened to all the episodes. Wow, that's a lot. It's a super funny podcast, such a good companion, but also a place to get really good book recommendations, huh? Yeah. And trending topics, sometimes pretty interesting interviews. I saw. Okay. Thank you. That person, what was their name? Matt. Matt, Matt D57. Matt D57, thank you. Matt D57. Okay, Owen from Atlanta. Thanks, Owen from Atlanta. Okay, puts me in a design mood. Five stars. If you want to listen to two moderately distracted designers ramble on about books they haven't read and have meta discussions about the state of their own podcast, settle in, big fella. You're in for a treat. Jake actively berates the podcast's organization while Jonathan laughs maniacally and then talks about his feelings. But they This is pretty <laughs> accurate, actually. <laughs> they have some good points about design, running business, and making time by make time for creative endeavors. These guys are the best. I almost cried when they pulled the fake cancellation. <clears throat> ah, good. Fun product and design related podcast. I'm just going to read two more. This one and one more. Originally titled Product Breakfast Club, this very fun product design, tech business, and Gandalf oriented <laughs> podcast, which doesn't teach you much itself, but provides great insights, tips, and comments from which you can actually learn a lot. Best of all, this is probably the most fun podcast that I listen to, and it never feels like a chore like some of the businessy podcasts, uh, like the yeah. fucking Envision podcast, probably. <laughs> Um, sometimes do keep it up guys your 1000 true fans love what you do i actually reinstalled apple podcast app which i hate only to leave this five-star review wow. Ten sticks. Wow, nice. nice that is from so takal s-o-t-a-k-i i'd love to be able to give you guys like a if you ever want to put like your instagram handles or something into these all right one more one more, one more. <laughs> one. okay this podcast will ruin your life <laughs> that's the headline um this is from lucy ruth darby from the u.s five stars i started listening lucy i know lucy i met her at the recent event at the aj and smart ah. office she'd flown over for it so i started listening to jake and jonathan aka the podcast formerly known as the product breakfast club earlier this year and have been binge listening practically non-stop on a daily basis i won't stop mentioning it to my co-workers my family my friends this podcast will prompt you to spend a frightening amount of money on every single book recommendation. We should have sponsors. We right? should. But every God. single book recommendation that these two have mentioned, it'll transform the way you approach networking, hashtag canvas strategy, and the way you hold <laughs> conversations with others, hashtag just listen. You may start quietly singing the PBC outro as a way to end awkward conversations. <laughs> Imagine if you didn't do it quietly, yeah. though. And it's like, oh, Go hey, how's it going? Oh, <laughs> Okay, wait, it's enough. They're delightful, 
unadulterated ramble fests are the most refreshing thing ever to grace the podcast space. Insightful, helpful, authentic, and hilarious. The most frustrating thing about this podcast is that it didn't exist earlier. Well, fuck, I mean. Okay, thank you both for such a valuable resource. And please don't ever stop. Hashtag buy Sprint. Buy Sprint. How lovely ah, is that? that's there's, so there's nice. Loads that more, is but we'll so still. nice. People are really nice writing those reviews. Yeah. It's a hassle to write one of those reviews. Like you totally. got to go through so many hoops. We've talked about this before. I'm just talking yeah. about it again hoops. anyway. But we've hoops. talked about hoops, but not in relation yeah. to the podcast. We've talked about the podcast. We've talked about hoops. Now I'm bringing it together. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, one thing I just can't stop thinking about dark matter and how in that one, oh. there are all these branching worlds, you know, because it's like branching, uh, hoops. Yeah, branching hoops, parallel universes, the multiverse. Do you think there's a parallel universe? If we assume parallel universes are true, and, and in which case, then there's like every single possible permutation exists. There's a permutation where you and I met as children, started the podcast immediately. It was the first podcast ever. Yes. And we've been doing it for like 20 years. Uh, what do you yeah. think in that world? Do you think that we're like the Donald Trumps of the world? Like, what do you think is going on in that world? Well, if we started a podcast when we were children, we'd obviously have the biggest podcast of all time right now. Yeah. Therefore, we'd both be multimillionaires and we would just be wearing solid gold clothing. Yeah. If anyone listening to this podcast ever hears of, you know, a big company buying AJ and Smart and, and you can assume that it's going to be for a large amount of money. guarantee the day that happens, I'll be wearing solid gold clothing, hat, contact lenses, socks. (laughs) Contact lenses is a great picture. Yeah, day one. Day one. You know the way some people feel kind of awkward about showing their wealth? I would be wearing a Lamborghini backpack. (laughs) It's just a Lamborghini cut up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just the Lamborghini logo on my backpack. That's what I would... That's what you just I'd buy Lamborghinis, throw everything away except the logo, yeah. just to put it yeah. on your backpack. Exactly. <laughs> I would be no. I, I think I would be so. Imagine if you and I, like everyone thinks we're really humble and everything, no, and then we just, just turn into like crazy, <laughs> get really cocky, you know, start turning up to like Hollywood events, yeah, and nobody knows who we are, <laughs> and we're just super cocky. We're like, oh, you haven't heard of Jake and Jonathan? <laughs> Don't talk to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the podcast is getting big, so it's getting it pretty could, big. It could happen. How's it look in the last few episodes? Is the trend considering to be continue to be good yeah. or is it tapering? The trend is amazing and I have no idea what's happening. So one of the best ways to see how good the trend is right now, besides the fact that, I mean, I mentioned in the previous episodes that the overall monthly downloads are increasing a lot. One of the best ways is you can see the top 10 episodes. So usually the top 10 episodes of a podcast that's not really growing or when your podcast is growing slowly, and this would have been our podcast maybe at the start of this year, usually it's all very old episodes in these top episode piles because it's just they've had the benefit of time. We've got episode 91, 96, 89, 93, 94, 81, nothing below 75 wow. in our top episodes. So, so by your newly defined standards of growth, we're doing great by having those recent. Yeah, well, I mean, the previous month, for example, had 71.9 thousand, basically 72,000 downloads. August was 64. July was 63. June was 57. May was 46. So there's a pretty nice graph, but we'll have to see. And I don't know why it's happening. I think it's just now somehow organically some people have caught on to it i guess that we've really leaned into the point of this podcast i think the people who like it you know the 1000 true fans approach the people who like this kind of stuff they share it they want other people to hear it it's just something that has become like a bit of a routine for some people to listen to this every monday and yeah it's growing and yet we still don't monetize it i, t- <laughs> <laughs> I still get sponsor at our sponsorship emails every single day though wow every day wow, that's crazy I did a couple of workshops last week. and How were they? They were good. And a little shout out to my man, Douglas Ferguson from whoop, whoop, Austin, whoop, whoop, whoop. who helped me put them on. And to Very nice Artifact one, Design in Seattle, who hosted us. And Copperleaf in uh, Vancouver, who hosted us. Anyway, it was great. But how was the catering? The catering, was, <laughs> the catering was good. The catering was good. Nice I finally, work. I, yeah, I mean, but I, like, I could have organized it better. You know, it's hard. I'm still thinking about this personal assistant thing. I got a new one. You got a new one? Yeah, I got a new one. Can I have your old one? 
<laughs> no, because she is doing yoga full time, opened oh, her own yoga studio. That's cool. So I had no access to her anymore. Yeah. And I got a new one last week. And it's great. I mean, I have to fly a lot in the next few weeks as well. So how did you find them, the new person? I asked around and the new managing director of AJ and Smart, Sarah, uh, Sarah McKenna. She's great. Um, she she also listens to the podcast and likes it. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> hi, Sarah. Uh, hi, Sarah. I don't know you, but... I... She recommended someone she knew. And so we're just seeing how we like working with each other, uh, myself and my new personal assistant. And so far, so good. So... Yeah, I mean, I only had one week without one, and that was already a nightmare. What's your, what's your, how many hours a week does your personal assistant work? What's your? It's just an hourly rate, so I actually don't know. It always depends. I, at the start, it's a bit more because they're getting used to you, and I'm creating a Google Doc of kind of my preferences and stuff. And for example, this weekend is very complicated. Okay, I'm going to Barcelona on Friday, then I need to fly from Barcelona to New York on Sunday. And I need to fly back and be in Berlin on Thursday morning. And there's like a lot, I have like a workshop in New York and then I have a couple of meetings. So there's lots of little things that need to be organized. And at the same time, then I have this other trip coming up right after it. And the amount of moving parts when you have something like that going on is crazy. But also there's complications because I have a meeting in Barcelona on Sunday morning. So I can't take a flight before X time. And there's just so many elements. So what I do is I just explain all of that in a voice message. And then she books it all. Looking back, what's a range of hours per week that you need help oh. with? Like when you look back and you see what you've paid for or you for know what? Four to five hours per week. Four to five hours per week. Interesting. Okay. And does your admin handle your email much? I have a very big advantage over you in the fact that there are like 20 other people here to help me with, oh, yeah. you know, I, like uh, I don't need to company. do any email at all, realistically. <sighs> yeah, see, email, I think, is the killer for me. I, I have a ton of travel coming up, too. That's another topic we could talk about is travel. Well, I guess you're always traveling and a client books you, right? It's mostly that. What do you mean books me? So I'm traveling this time. When I'm traveling this time to New York... I need to spend AJ and smart money to get there. Yeah. But it's not for a specific client. I'm actually going over for some meetings and just to catch up with some people, which means I have to spend company money and a client is not paying for it. Yeah. But if I fly over specifically for a client, it's much easier to say, okay, I w- I'd like to take business class or I'd like a nicer hotel. Do you have any like rule of thumb around how you approach that? If, if I'm paying versus, yeah. I mean, I... I always fly business class if I can, but you know, I'm very tall. Yeah, fuck. Oh yeah, for you. Yeah, it's kind of, I've just talked myself into maybe, but usually if I'm going somewhere, I have to perform when I get there. Like I'm giving a a talk and I think of it very much as a performance or teaching a workshop and that's like an all day talk. And so it's pretty important that I'm feeling physically good. And so, yeah, so I do fly business class pretty much all the time, even for shorter flights. I just, my back gets messed up otherwise. And, you know, but that's it. I mean, and it is expensive to do so. It's insane. It's like 8,000 euro to go from Barcelona to New York and back. Wow. Business. Yeah. I'm surprised it's that. That I usually don't see it because a client just pays for it. Yeah. So the way I usually think about it is... There's for two factors, I guess. One of the factors is like, okay, this, it makes it possible that I can do this because I don't think I could. It just has to cut into the profit of the thing. So the other thing I've been really thinking a lot more about recently, and it was partly triggered by the Ends of the World book, and it was partly triggered by, which is so good. I know you laugh, but it's such a good book. I know, um, I, I know. Are you going to talk about like carbon footprint? Yeah, carbon stuff? is a carbon footprint. Yeah, I've yeah. been thinking about that a bunch lately too. And trying to figure out, I really do care about that. However, it is yeah. hard to know what is the right thing to do. Be- yeah. Because... I remember when I was working on what became Google Hangouts and we were trying to get that project going. And one of the big drivers of that was like, it seemed so clear that having more video calls like you and I are having right now yeah. would be a great way to reduce people's travel. And yeah. in some ways that has proven to be true as that technology has really taken off. People are able to work from wherever they are and travel less. However, the reality of global travel is that it's just going up and up and up, and it's going up a lot. And that's a significant carbon thing. It's by far, the, of the things that I do, it's by far the biggest carbon footprint. And 
Yet at the same time, like if I just said, I'm going to not travel, I'm going to cut way back. The work that I do is very dependent on me being there in person. It is simultaneously, I guess, like teaching and entertaining in a way. But the teaching part comes down to how much do I believe in the teaching part? Do I think that the like overall merit, and this is like, it's really where I think maybe a bit arrogant even, but like, do I think the merit of the work I'm doing for like humankind outweighs the damage that it causes to do the work? Anyway, I've just been thinking about that a bunch lately, and I don't think I've landed on like an answer. I'm not ready to say like, I'm going to stop doing this kind of work because of the carbon damage, because I see so much benefit coming from the work. But I do think there's something I have to figure out. Or maybe just being uncomfortable with it is what it looks like. Anyway, I don't know. Speaking of uncomfortable, I actually want to talk about the design sprint for a second. Okay. So we've been interviewing a lot of people, a lot of designers to join AJ and Smart. And I'm also, obviously, because we have the online masterclass, there's a lot of discussion online about design sprints that I'm involved in. 99% of it is super positive and people are excited to learn about it. But occasionally you'll have a person who's been a designer for many years And we've talked about this before. The design sprint sometimes makes people go on the defensive. Yeah. Meaning that if someone believes that their career is to be like a designer and to be the professional on the team who understands UX and product and all of this stuff, you'll have one out of, in my experience, one out of 50 people will rally against it actively and talk about how oh yeah, well, you can't just apply that to everything. And yeah, well, it's not just like a one size fits all thing. And yeah, do you really believe that anybody can really do this? And yeah, all these people are going to these workshops and getting certified and it's all bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And I find it personally super interesting that I'm just going to monologue for two seconds. and then Please do. I monologued for a while about, all right. <laughs> yeah, so please do. So my opinion of this is that often it's people who are worried that You know, there's the difference between the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset is like, if someone else is doing something, you know, similar or whatever, they might take my piece of the pie. And an abundance mindset is, well, there's enough to go around for everybody. I'm just going to focus on being good myself and helping other people. And there's definitely something in the design sprint that triggers people with the scarcity mindset. It triggers them when they see non-designers learning how to run workshops, especially something like the sprint, it makes them angry. It makes them angry that someone could just walk in and be a facilitate them doing what they've done for the last, you know, 20 years as a professional. And it's super rare when it comes up, but I see it once or twice per month. And I'm just curious, how often do you see this when you go in the workshops, people buy tickets for it. But when yeah. you go to corporate, do you see that cropping up where people are like, the common question, do you really think the design sprint can be used for everything? And it's like, yeah, well, no one's saying that. It's We're just showing you a process that could be useful. Yeah, well, but you know, the, well, you know, the, um, the, the stupid certificates. Well, in real life, I increasingly live in a pro-design sprint bubble because True. the workshops <laughs> are... The workshops are people who chose, they selected to be there and so on. But online, I've seen exactly what you're talking about. And I have seen it in person in the past too. And I mean, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for that point of view because for one thing, if somebody came along to me and was like, here's a week-long process and it's going to be basically one big meeting that you're going to be in, we're going to follow all (laughs) these steps and just trust me, like at the end, you'll have answered your big question about your project and you'll have created a prototype and you've tested it, all these things. I'd be skeptical of that thing. Yeah. In my history as a worker, I have been both like embracing new things and like curious about them and exploring them. And then also over time, like growing skepticism as a lot of them didn't work. And so if you've been doing design for 15, 20 years, whatever, you see this thing, you have good reason to be skeptical of it. I also have sympathy for people who are concerned that this thing will lead to a crappy outcome because we'll end up choosing some person's design on the team who's not really mm. you know, a designer and they don't have expertise. And so anyway, I think that the underlying motivations of the resistance to the design sprint, they're not bad necessarily. Sometimes I do think, yeah, it probably is scarcity. There's probably some actual like worry, you know, or insecurity behind it. But there can also be like legitimate concerns behind it. 
I rarely see the legitimate concern. Okay. For me, it's mostly people who are angry that non-designers are able to to learn how to run a system like this. They just see it as part of the pie that they had access to is now being eaten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I find that super weird because, so I posted something on LinkedIn. And by the way, LinkedIn is getting crazy organic reach at the moment. So it had a lot of comments. It was really cool, actually. I posted something like a prediction. And I genuinely believe this to be true because I'm seeing it on the market right now. So it doesn't matter what your opinion is on this. People who are able to run design sprints or just generally build and design workshops for specific situations within companies that help and like repeatedly and demonstratedly help um, companies to get things done quicker and teams to get things done quicker. These people are going to be pretty sought after over the next two years. The demand is insane right now. We have a lot of trouble finding these types of people. And we're a company that can really pay these types of people and we have a good brand. And it's just a fact. It's just a fact that right now, all of our clients are looking for people who can confidently facilitate something like a sprint. And the sprint is just one piece of the puzzle. And I think what was interesting to see is that it did trigger a few people. They didn't read into the fact that I'm just saying, look, this is going to happen no matter what. It's like, well, it's bullshit. All these people coming out with these certifications, they're all fakers, whatever, you know, like this kind of thing. And I think for me, what's interesting about that, and and if you're somebody listening who has the tendency to immediately fight back, doesn't change the truth. It doesn't matter if you're angry about it. It doesn't change the (laughs) fact that it's going to happen anyway. So while this is happening, you might be sitting down and being angry and trolling LinkedIn or whatever, but it's happening no matter what. And I think often the kind of motivation for someone like me to post something like that is you could add this skill set to what you're doing and maybe increase your salary rather than seeing it as, well, your job is fucked. You need to do this. I just find it, I don't even know how I got into this, but I was thinking about it a lot last week if you ever feel like really defensive about something, because there's always going to be a new thing coming up that's going to threaten your job. For example, graphic designers got threatened by UX designers for a while. And now for sure, like UX design as a salary is higher than graphic design on average. But I think sometimes you just need to see that something is coming, test it out, play with it. You don't need to question every single aspect of it. There are some people who can just tell you, okay, look, that's coming up. The salaries are really good right now that's all there is to it. And there's plenty to go around. I don't know. I'm just rambling a lot as if that's different to any other time. (laughs) People have legitimate concerns. I think the concern about the certifications is totally legit to you. I mean, you know, I hate certifications. You and I have talked about it a bunch, right? Yeah, it's stupid. It's a tough thing because it is simultaneously like, it really doesn't matter in the work cultures that I've been in. It hasn't mattered. However, I also know that's not true in every situation. In others, yeah. And I also know that there's certainly, anytime I think about starting a new thing in my career, I can see why it's nice to say, yeah, well, I have done this thing. Like I have I have done this training or whatever. And so you and I have always ended up landing on, we won't make like a formal certification, but if yeah, people yeah. want a certificate of completion. It's a certification of completion. Yeah, let's give it to them, you know, because if that's helpful to them, like there's nothing untrue about the certificate that says you've completed this thing although actually just a small thing on the certificate it's kind of ironic i always say ah fuck certificates i hate the idea of it it's stupid but we'll put it in and then in the interviews i'm asking people if they finished the master class if they got their certificate because obviously it's a head start if they want to join aj and smart if they already know exactly how we work (laughs) then it's handy we have interviewed a couple of people who took the master class And it was helpful to just start the interview already a couple of steps ahead, not having to explain things. But yeah, I agree that certificates don't matter. But that's the thing. We know it and we wouldn't care about that. And it doesn't threaten people who are like, have this abundance mindset, don't care if other people have certifications. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I guess it's sort of a symptom of feeling that there's constraints and that there's a threat from it. Yeah. is probably the thing that makes you mad. Like, I think that there's there are two different reactions to the certificate you could have if you don't believe in certificates. And one is to just kind of like be like, Psh, and like roll your eyes, like whatever. It doesn't really affect me. And the other is to be like, that is like actively bad. That is degrading the work that we do, um, which is 
more defensive or maybe they actually do care that like this is going to yield worse results if people do this and that's the ah, part where they i think take it too you know, seriously it's an interesting another parallel universe question for a multiverse question for you is like if yeah. the design sprint were called something else that didn't have the word design in the title would people yeah. still feel so would the negative people still feel so negative about it because I think it's usually designers who feel negative about yeah, it. Maybe it's research always or researchers. It's often researchers. Oh my God. I want to read. This. So listen to this statement. Um, Less envy of others, more actually being happy for them because the world is abundant and what they're getting isn't coming out of yours. You focusing on their lives, though, is coming out of yours. Oh. What's that from? It's a tweet. It's a tweet. It's just a tweet from Gary V. <laughs> Gary V. It just it was coincidentally I saw it today and it triggered for me. But I honestly think, and I say this all the time, I genuinely think this is one of the hardest things to do, to not be jealous of other people and not to think. Yes. Like it naturally happens to me that I yes. think that something someone else is doing is coming out of my pocket or like totally. I have to force myself sometimes to share the stuff we're sharing you know it took many years to build up this almost like muscle of no just share just be generous just don't worry about what other people are doing be happy for them well the other thing is it's very easy to or easier to feel magnanimous to feel like oh sure whatever when you're talking about a topic where things are going well for you like if things yeah. are going well then i'm like oh yeah sure fine yeah whatever you know but if you talk about something where things are not going so well then it's much harder. And when I think about areas of my work or areas of my life where I feel like that person is doing better than me or like yeah. I've tried to do something there and right now I'm feeling like it's failing, then like I'm much more scarcity mindset. I'm much more like yeah. likely to be critical of their version of the thing. Like it's... Listen to this. I mean, it's even embarrassing to admit this, but the podcast is about that, I guess. <laughs> I think like one of the most easy ways for me to feel the scarcity mindset is... There are people who move on from AJ and Smart, and anybody who works in AJ and Smart gets a massive amount of career development. You know, they get access to some of the biggest companies in the world. They get a massive career booster. So no matter what, unless they really fucked something up, when they leave, they're moving on to much bigger and better things. And they're going to be, of course, doing, I mean, actually every single person who leaves AJ and Smart, and that's a testament to the work that you did. Everyone who leaves is like, all I want to do is help people run design sprints. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> and of course, they're going to be getting paid really well for it. But for me, the natural instinct there is it, a trigger of this scarcity mindset. It, it triggers it yeah. a little bit for me um, where I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily want to help these people out because they're, of course, competing on the exact same marketplace as me. But then I stop myself and I think, fuck that. I know that that's the natural and easy reaction but I'm actually not going to think about it like that. I think helping them, promoting them, the people who leave AJ and Smart, I promote them on our Instagram. I promote them on our LinkedIn because it's also an exercise in getting that out of my head, that stupid yeah. scarcity thought out of my head. But it's really- Do you find that that helps promoting other people's stuff that competes with yours? Does it help with yeah, that feeling? It does. It definitely does. Is it the, is it the best thing for helping with that feeling? <sighs> I think the best thing for helping with that feeling is realizing that it exists and that you will naturally lapse back into some form of like envy about if someone else is doing better. But it's also, by the way, financially long-term better to not do the scarcity thing. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like our YouTube channel would never exist if I had the obsession with scarcity because basically you could pull together your own free design sprint course using our YouTube channel. No problem. But I don't see it like that. I see it as, well, the people who can afford to get like the nice package can go for that. But the people who can't, let them take everything that we've put out there and then start their own business and then start selling stuff. And it's not going to hurt us. It's going to help us because it's, I actually really believe in karma. It's such a weird thing. I'm so like not religious or anything, but I do <laughs> believe in karma. I definitely do believe in it. Well, I think that people are attracted to people who are giving and helpful and open you've embodied that with the way you run the company i think there is something to that with the karma thing definitely there's some business karma that, that yeah as well you know when you karma yeah and i'm sure there we can find counter examples in the world but it's a happier way to go but it is hard i think it's important to note 
that it is hard. When someone else is beating you, it's easier to be magnanimous when you feel like you're the leader in something. When someone else is beating you, it's harder. It's much, much harder. I actually disagree. Really? I actually okay. I think that when you're the leader, you're more worried about losing your position. Oh. And therefore, you start getting more scarcity mind. Like when you have absolutely no position, then you have no other option than to be kind of a bit open. <laughs> But when you're the leader, like right now, you know, AJ and Smart is definitely one of the most well-known companies for doing specific kind of design sprint projects. And it would be super easy for me to see all of the other agencies cropping up and be like, oh, these motherfuckers, like they're, you know what I mean? But actually what we did instead is made the online course and we actually help these companies now. Um, So we looked for ways to just say, okay, this is going to happen no matter what. Like, you know, there's a, also a ton of companies out there whose websites are like literally a copy and paste of AJ and Smart as well, which I always find funny because <laughs> the website is so bad. But <laughs> instead of actually being angry or trying to shut them down or anything, what we did is, you know, created things that they could also buy that would make their agencies even more successful. So I think it's like thinking of it as, look, this is going to happen no matter what. Let's just be part of like the abundance side of things. Let's just give away things. Let's be open. Somehow that's even solidified our leadership position even more, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I guess it's interesting to think about, have you ever seen that not work for a person or a company? I think if you have valuable stuff to share, if you think about everything very long term, what I don't forgive... Even though I'm talking about being such a nice person, I don't. I I don't think I can forgive the agency owners from my early days who withheld information from me that could have been useful just because they had the scarcity mindset. When I would ask them, "Hey, how do you guys do something like this?" or "How do you work with clients like that?" or "How do you charge?" or like when people ask me these questions, I tell them immediately, and I yeah. also we talk about it on this podcast. Yeah. And by the way, these companies like. It's just such an old school way of going about things. But it was often these CEOs, they didn't want me to know any of these things because what if I would come up and take over their industry and disrupt their market? Now, actually, let's play this out with one specific topic that yeah. people ask about all the time in workshops. And I think also, even if someone is listening to this and they don't care about design sprints, they might find it interesting, which is how much should you charge for a design yeah. sprint? And that is a question anybody who's doing this has to answer because it's a very different product. If you just think of like a business that sells design sprints being like any business selling products, it's a different kind of product than the things that those kinds of businesses usually sell. So because it's totally. like a it's like a one or two week package that's very intense that often takes a lot of build up time to sell and yet like it's commodified to a certain extent like anybody could do it so how you set yourself apart and if you're in this business where you know you maybe previously were doing consulting or maybe you've started a new thing to do this it's gonna feel new and like pricing it's not like pricing other things you might have done so people always wonder and they often ask me and i because i don't run a design sprint business i like say well here's you know kind of roughly what i think but i don't really know and you should talk to people and i know you have always yeah. been really forthcoming in our first conversation i think we talked about pricing for sprints. yeah you asked i told you immediately how much we we're charging and that also gave me the opportunity for you to say oh that's way too cheap yeah well <laughs> i mean but what did i know right but like yeah and then we added like 10k onto it <laughs> and it worked well today we charge $75,000 for a project and the project includes a sprint and an iteration sprint what we also add on so the entire project timeline is four weeks but the core is a sprint and an iteration sprint there's some prep work beforehand because we don't want any clients bleeding into each other so one team does one client and on week one they're preparing for the sprint they're doing some research week two is the actual first design sprint week three is the iteration sprint and week four is the handover $75,000 could be a little bit more for that. That changes all the time. So if you're listening to this a long time after, it might be more more like 100. If you're an individual consultant, I don't know what numbers you've been hearing, but that's so varied and so depends on your actual experience levels. But, you know, that range can be anything from $200 a day to 
$1,500 per day. Or even, you know, I've done one day workshops and I've charged $18,000 for a one day workshop. So it's, it's kind of all over the place. It really depends on what position you are in your life. But I'm super transparent about money because of those early times where these other design agency owners wouldn't tell me shit. <laughs> Did you ever do design sprints for free at the beginning? So you're offering a new service. Would you do it for free yeah. to prove it out? Yeah. Because a lot of people say, don't do that. Like people yeah, say. Yeah, fuck those people. I hate <laughs> these arrogant designers who are like, nah, don't do anything for free. Never do free work. I mean, actually myself and Chris do, don't agree on this. <laughs> because, because we've done it. And I honestly think there is a stigma around doing free work because some successful people say that and maybe have forgotten how they got successful or maybe they were very talented and very lucky. At AJ and Smart in our early days, we did a lot of free work. I've done a lot of free work. You know, I still sometimes do things for free if I see a long-term end game that might be better for the business. So when we started doing sprints, we did a couple of free sprints for the World Food Program. It was also good because it was charitable, but mostly it was because we wanted to see how it would work. The free work thing, for me, I think it's a super bad piece of advice to give to people. And it's a very entitled piece of advice. So for me, when I was younger, I would have given anything. And I did also work for free on film sets because I wanted to understand how movie making worked. I had two options. One was go through the standard system of going through interviews and trying to get in a paid internship and all of this. And I just chose the faster route, which was do it for free, work in a bar, <laughs> yeah. and then learn everything faster than everyone else. And then you still get the job anyway. So I think we pay for internships at AJ and Smart, but I still think that's not the best and fastest way to boost your career. I think all of this don't do work for free stuff in the design industry is definitely slowing a lot of people down. And, you know, I get it, but it doesn't apply to every situation. I think it's like a tricky thing because when you're starting off something new, it's really hard to align like interesting project, convince them to participate, to be in the room and like convince yeah. them to pay and everything's new and like you're a new unproven at it, whatever. That's really hard to do. Then on the flip side, there's like, well, once it's established as a valuable thing, you should feel completely unashamed about charging as much as possible and yeah, it should turn exactly. into a real business. And those two things I think can live together. I think the concern about like, don't ever do anything for free comes from the idea that doing things for free will erode the later like treat it as a serious business and yeah, yeah. charge what it's worth. And I actually think there's some logic to conflating the two or to saying like, because if you live in a world where the kinds of design work you're doing is like, becomes like really commodified. Everybody knows about it. A designer who's getting paid looks at somebody who's doing stuff for free and says, man, they're being taken advantage of. Or man, they're, no, they're just know. jealous because that person's getting more work than them. It's back to the abundance mindset and scarcity mindset thing. They don't want people to work for free because people who work for free can often get ahead faster. Well, yeah, but I think that actually there's a scenario where they're looking out for the designers of all the career types that I've worked with in tech. Designers like the least good at pushing for money. Maybe I don't know enough to say that that's true, but I definitely think designers, they don't tend to like really advocate for themselves business-wise. And so I do think that there's merit in saying, hey, you should advocate for yourself business-wise. Don't be totally. jerked around, right? That I think is the spirit of the like, don't work for free. But I think you're right. I think but there don't are these be situations an about where it's, it. yeah. And, and the Mike Monterio thing, the fuck you pay me thing that I sometimes see designers wearing fuck you pay me hats and stuff at conferences. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, no client wants to work with someone like that. I, I think that you have to build a relationship with your client. They are real people on the other side of that phone. And if you're not getting paid, it means you kind of might have messed up something earlier on in the process. But the fuck you pay me thing, I've never taken that approach with AJ and Smart and never would. And I'd rather lose money than ever go that aggressive at a client. But also I've built the business so that we do multiple projects so that we're not reliant on any one company. Still, the fuck you pay me thing, I 1 million percent disagree with it. The attitude, it's a bad attitude. It's like a confrontational attitude from day one that the designer is like, you know what? Clients are assholes. There's these design humor Instagrams as well. And it's always about how stupid the clients are and how much they don't understand design. If you're sharing these things, if your clients ever see them, 
goodbye to all of your work. <laughs> <laughs> and if I ever see them, I'll definitely never hire you because I think it's such an entitled crappy thing. It's very unprofessional. I don't know. I, I triggered myself there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, our approach, you and I, I think our approach is the same. When we're working with people, the idea is like, I actually am going to assume I don't know everything. The thing I can help you with the most is to help you do your thing well. And I want to have some faith that 99% of people, they have expertise, they have interesting ideas. And if they could be unlocked to do what they care about, if they could be unlocked to actually do the thing that they're motivated to do, that it would be good for the broader world. Like if we could just actually like unlock people's motivations and their projects, whatever, it would be good. And so my role there is just to unlock what you're doing. And so I see myself as very much like a servant a of guide. people. A helper, yeah, a guide, yeah. And I think that that's a different way of thinking about clients. Than you should always think about yourself as a guide because, I don't know, I think it's a, so immature. I find it unbelievably immature when I see designers posting angry stuff about their clients on something like LinkedIn. I'm actually shocked. I'm super shocked. I think it comes from a different genre of design business than we're in. I mean, it comes from a design business where you're designing stuff all the way through. Subjective design work. Well, subjective work, it's like you're going all the way through to executing it. You're in much more of an execution mode. I think we're more in a consultancy world of yeah. things. But yeah, I just don't, I mean, negativity is, I still never gonna, very... is never gonna turn me on. I don't think that's a good good way to go about life. If I ever see anyone at AJ and Smart bitching or complaining about a client, I just, no, no, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I, I'm just picturing you in the office being like, no, 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 no. no. Stop it, stop uh, it. They're paying us. You know us. That, uh, that no song on the Adam Buxton show? No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, Jake, it's been an hour. Should we shut this down? Let's shut it down. Let's shut it down. <laughs> I have to think of a clickbaity headline for this one, actually. Uh, how to, how the mindset you need to be successful. Boom. <laughs> you are so good. At the title. Thank you. I think that is Thank where the you. growth comes from. You're just yeah. dialing it in on the on the oh, titles. Oh yes. I love it. All right, dude. Have a great uh have a great Tuesday. You too. Have a great whatever day it is out there in podcast land, everybody. And we'll see you next time on Jake and Jonathan. What can people do for you, Jake? They can listen to this podcast, write a review, oh. uh subscribe to my newsletter, jakenap.com. Great. Great, great stuff. What can people do for you? Uh, just follow me on Instagram. Just follow me on Instagram at J Ice Cream and have a lovely, beautiful week. And we hope you were entertained. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Jake and Jonathan. Jake and Jonathan. Jake and Jonathan. Jonathan. Jake and Jonathan. Jake and Jonathan. Jake and Jonathan. Jake and Jonathan. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. See you later. Bye, everybody.